I want you to think of the worst relationship that you have ever experienced, okay? Think about the worst relationship you've ever experienced. Before you quickly go into romance, first of all, think about a job. Maybe you took a job, you interviewed for the job, you took the job, and you thought, okay, this is it. I'm going to move my family across the, the land, the, the, across the land and sea or whatever, and it's going to be like this. They said it was going to be like this, and you get there, and it's not like that at all. And all of a sudden, something, what went wrong in the interview? Maybe you're that person right now who you just moved here this summer, and you're going, oh, my goodness, what happened here? It's not the company I thought I signed up for. It's not the job that I thought I signed up for. Everything's changed, whatever the case may be. Or you may be the person who hired someone. And you think, oh, man, man, where did I miss that one? I mean, I thought I interviewed. I thought I checked him out well. I thought, I thought, I thought. But something is a cultural misfit. It's a, it's a character misfit. There's a chemistry misfit. Well, whatever it may be uh, that you're looking at. Now, how, how do I get out of this? And how do we get out of this in a graceful manner? So you might have some situations like that. If you've done the hiring or you've been the person who's ta- taken the job and moved across the land. Or it could be a relationship. Think about that relationship that went nowhere healthy. Think about that relationship that, that broke down, and, but you were so love drunk, uh, you couldn't let go of that person. You were going to improve them. They were going to improve. It was going to get better, and it never got better. And finally, the, the, the drunk led to a hangover, and you had a bad experience, and you got out, and you went in the other direction, and you realized that was a wasted years of my life or days of months or weeks of my life. I'll never get back again. That may be a relationship that you have, the most painful relationship. It could be somebody that you trusted, you believed. It's a family member of yours that they did something to you that hurt you, that to this day still has repercussions, still has pain in your life. Think about those relationships. There's one thing that's common about all those breakdown in relationships. Now, there may be other things out there that broke down in those relationships. But there's one thing that, that clearly breaks down in every relationship of every counseling experience or coaching life, marriage coaching that I might do along the way that breaks down consistently, and that would be communication. Communication is so critical. I, I, I do this survey on, on new couples that I'm, I'm about to marry, and we, 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 we look at 12 different buckets, one of those buckets being communication. A whole other bucket is conflict resolution, which ties right back to communication. And if one bucket's bad, then the other bucket typically hands down is bad. And if I were to look back over my 26 years in ministry and over the number of times that I've done this prepare and rich survey into couples, the number one issue that comes back again and again and again, whether it is a premarital situation or it's an enrichment situation that needs to be made better, it comes back to communication. Communication is the key to healthy relationships. In fact, you take relationship and you add it to communication, what you will find is intimacy. You have, communica- you have a relationship established, something that's built on trust, something that's built on love, something that's built on time, something that's been tested, something, whatever you want to constitute that relationship. That relationship plus communication will bring intimacy into the life. Now, you take, put, take that little plus sign to a negative sign. Relationship minus communication will lead to distance, separation, and static. Now, how many of y'all got here early enough that you heard the static in the room and it annoyed you? Raise your hand, all right? 
All right. That was intentional because we wanted you to be annoyed, okay? We wanted you to have this bad, icky feeling, okay, that you were going through. Because whenever you have static in communication, you always are just frustrated. It's like, when are you going to stop this? Or you get a bad phone cell connection. Okay, let's hang up and let's try it again. And you redial and you maybe, maybe hopefully it's going to be better. Or would you quit moving? Lori and I were talking on the phone the other day. Would you quit moving around? Would you, would you quit doing that? I can't hear you. You can't hear me. So, I mean, you get into this thing when you don't have good communication, you have a, 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 a level of separation that begins to happen. A level of uh, disconnect. It begins to happen. The relationship still may be there, but the key is building it off of relationship, okay? Having a healthy relationship, we got to start there every single week because every time when this voice is serious that we're talking about hearing the voice of God versus all the other voices that we hear, and we talked about that last week, versus being able to distinguish the voice of God, it's going to come back to relationship. Every single week, it's going to come back to relationship. In fact, I want you to just memorize this verse. If you're doing experience of God, you will memorize this verse eventually. It's one of our verses. Whoever belongs to God, it says in John 8, 47, whoever belongs to God hears what God says. That's a good promise, all right? That God's not going to have some, some secret language out there, and you're going to have to have a decoder ring, and, and you're going to have to figure God out, and you're going to have to get the combination to God's secret code every single day. No, no, no. If you belong to God, you're going to hear what God said. But here's, a, here's the flip side of that. The reason some in this room do not hear is they do not belong to God. You're just going to have to do a soul, gut level, heart check in here, right here, right now. Before we can go further into bettering the communication, we've got to first establish is there a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So you just keep that on the, on the forefront of them, not the back burner, the forefront of the burner. And then we're going to skip over that burner now. We're going to talk about how to have that better relationship, how to have that better communication. Because Jesus gives us this promise. Again, another verse worth memorizing. It's just a little simple phrase here. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep, and we're referred to as his sheep, hear my voice and they follow me. All right, I want you to say that with me. My sheep hear my voice I know them and they follow me, all right? So there is this, there is this beautiful thing that happens here. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Again, what, what, what I said, relationship, it starts with the relationship. My sheep. It's a sense of belonging. It's a sense of connected. It's like my wife or my children, okay? You got to have relationship to start the baby off with, okay? And then the next thing he says, he says, uh, hear my voice, Okay? That speaks to communication. There is an element of communication with God and us and that we will have a communication. And if there's a communication gap, you know what happens. Static moves in, separation moves in, distance moves in. And they belong to me. I like that. I know them. There's this beautiful relationship. And they follow me. That's the response. All right? Now, you just break those three down and you just remember that and let that be brandished in your mind. It starts with the relationship, it moves to communication, and then there is a response. Now, what did I say last week? What we're going to be talking about in this entire series is the voice, not just voices. We're going to really focus on hearing the voice of God. And how do you hear the voice of God? It's going to start with relationship. It's going to be about communication after you have that healthy, vibrant relationship, and you move that into communication. But you're going to have to respond. 
And the response is not like multiple choice from God. The response is very, very clear. He invites us to join him in what he is doing. All right? Big picture stuff here. We join him in what he is about. And let me just say this to you because, again, we've challenged you to, uh, to grab one of these. If you haven't, you can get up right now and go to the back and grab one or you can just jot it down and write on the way on your way out. But we want you to be able to articulate what God is saying to you. Now, you may take this home because you may not hear anything necessarily today. You may hear something during the week. And we want you to write it down and keep it with you because we want you to be able to record what is God saying to me and don't miss it. The God of the universe is talking. Okay, and this is the way uh, Hebrews says it. Says it not once, but says it twice in Hebrews three, chapter seven, uh, verse seven and eight, and chapter uh, verse fifteen. He says, "Today, today, not tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about yesterday. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. There is a proper response, and so." Hearing and discerning God's voice is critical, but responding, surrendering to God's voice is equally critical. You may not like what you hear today from God. (laughs) He may speak to you about some private things of your life that nobody else knows about but you, and you know about them, and you're not going to talk about them with anybody else no matter what. We're not asking you to talk about them with everybody else. We're asking you to respond to whatever God says to do and don't harden your heart. Because when you harden your heart, you now start shutting off God. You now start creating a separation. You now start creating a vacuum. So what can fill the vacuum? Static. And just drives a deeper and deeper wedge between you and God. Take your Bibles and be finding the book of Jeremiah. Now, it'll be way back in the Old Testament. You'll go past Psalms to your right, keep going to your right. You'll come to the book of a bunch of prophets, all right? And you'll come to the book of Jeremiah. We'll be there in a moment. I want to tell you about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet during a time that he would speak out what God would put into his heart. He was a a prophet to the nations. He spoke to kings and rulers, at least six different ones that I was able to count this week, that he was able to speak into their life. He, we know more about, about Jeremiah than probably any other prophet. He was a single guy. He, he, he had this, uh, Hot heart for God, but he was also a tender heart for God. He was born into a time when a very evil king was ruling the land, okay? Manasseh was his name. And he was this evil king. Listen, this is just to give you, give you some sordid pictures, he believed in pagan worship in the temple of God. Pagan worship that involved sexual orgies in the temple of God. He brought and introduced sorcery and wizardry into the temple of God. It was one of the most decadent kings ever. This is the way Eugene Peterson says it about, about, uh, about, Manassas, uh, about Manasseh. He said this, he said, the man could not do enough evil. I mean, you just think of the most vile, evil, horrible ruler that you could have. Now, now we're, you're, you're in the, and here's just one example. He literally takes his son, puts him on an altar, kills him, sacrifices him to an idol. His own son. So this is a guy that is just off his rocker, okay? That's the nation that Jeremiah was born into. 
And he doesn't get much better. Amon becomes his son, comes right behind him, and uh, is actually murdered, uh, assassinated as the, as the following king. But Josiah, an eight-year-old, becomes king after that. And this amazing, uh, I guess you could call it purification, this amazing kind of a... Uh, Relook and re- revamping the nation, he kind of begins to try to steer it in the right direction. What happens is the high priest finds, as they're cleaning out the temple, finds a copy of the book of Deuteronomy, opens it, reads it, and man, he's going to start making some changes. And now hear this, because it's going to come into play in a moment. He's going to make external changes. He's going to polish the temple. He's going to purge the temple. He's going to clean the temple. He's going to make new laws for the land. But it will not change the heart of the people. Because one king later, they're going to go deeper than they were when they were with Manasseh. They're going to go deeper into sin and further back into sin. And so that's the setting that we're dealing with. Not exactly uh, God's favoring time upon, upon the land. And so with that in mind, God gives Jeremiah this tremendous revelation. He tells him to go to the temple gates, about seven gates that surrounded the temple. Go to the temple gates, stand, and we don't know which one, stand in one of those gates, and you're to declare this message. Now, here's what I want you to see. God is talking. But they weren't listening. Here's just a few of the, a few of the, uh, the, the verses. But here, let's, let's read verse, verse 1 to start with. Just to show you that God is, is speaking. Verse, chapter 7, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Okay, God is speaking to Jeremiah. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim. The word that you just got from me. Proclaim there the word. Say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter the gates to worship the Lord. So word, 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 proclaim, proclaim. You hear it. God's talking. Jeremiah is being the voice of God. He's declaring it out. Now, how are they responding? Again, remember, it is communication, it's relationship, communication, and response. How are they responding? Well, here's just a few of the verses. If you skip down to verse 13, this is, how they, this is how they respond. And now because we have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, what's the next phrase? You did not listen. You did not listen. Here's another one, verse 24. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels, in the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and they went backward and not forward. We'll come to the very end of the message, back to that one. From that day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day I have persistently, used the same word he used before, persistently sent all my servants and prophets to them day after day. It wasn't as if God's word was lacking. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Relationship plus communication leads to intimacy. But right there is where response must happen. We've got to respond properly and accurately to the voice of God. The question may not be today. In fact, I will say the question is not today. Is God still speaking today? 
I want to say absolutely yes. The question is, am I listening? Am I listening when God is speaking? And this is where, and I'll, I'll kind of give you the outline of the message series next week. This is where we're in, this is where we need to talk about today. Because before you get frustrated with, I can't discern God's voice, I can't, I don't know, I don't know what God's voice sounds like. Before you get into all that, you've got to make sure relationship, communication, which you built into communication is response. Are they there? Are they there? Are they not there? Is any of the, are any of those elements missing? Because if any of those elements are missing, then we will have a breakdown in the communication process. And so here's the challenge today. I want you to be listening today for one thing. Okay? You ready? Listen for this. What is God asking me to change? To stop? To quit? To turn away from? And that I've heard it, I've known it, I've heard it in my heart, I've just kind of tuned it out, I've let the static fill in, it's become white noise to God's voice. He said it persistently, he said it again and again, and I I really just don't want to hear it because i got other agendas going on. We'll break that down in a moment. Because if you look at verse, the following, verse uh, verse 2 and following, he said this, or you look at verse 3, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. So I, I, God, He wants to bless us. He wants to steer us. He wants to guide us. Somebody said it like this, when God says don't, He's saying don't hurt yourself. When He's saying do, He's saying go bless yourself. So what, what God is wanting to do is He's wanting to steer and better your life, to give you more, a more and abundant life, Okay? John 10, 10. I can give you verse after verse after verse. I can give to Jeremiah 20, 29, 11, that God has a future and a hope for you. But first of all, you've got to amend your ways. So maybe today, what you are going to put on this card is an area of your life that God is saying, this has got to change. Put it down. And during our response song, you can hang it up. On your way out, you can hang it up. But more than anything, Amend your ways. Let's look at some ways, some ways that static moves in. Four signs, if you will, that static has moved into our lives. We're just going to take Jeremiah chapter 7. We're just going to kind of comb through it. We're going to do it quickly. Here we go. When our audio and the video of our faith, they're not aligned, we're in trouble. I don't know about you, but I'll turn off a movie faster than anything whenever the audio and the video are not lining up. You take a bad streaming movie, you take something like that, you take an old cheap B movie or C or D movie, and you don't get the voices. And the, uh, does it, does that frustrate anybody else or is it just me? All right. Uh, that frustrates me to know. I want to see them line up. You know what? The world wants to see our faith, our words, our actions line up. And when they don't, it is a massive turnoff. It's a massive turnoff. If you look at chapter 4, if you look at chapter 7, verse 4, you're going to hear something here that they were saying, the people of Israel were saying about the temple of God. Again, this is after Josiah's reforms. This is after the book of Deuteronomy. Externally, they were cleaning up the house. But internally, they weren't dealing with the issues. So externally on Sunday morning or Sabbath day, they would come and they would look the part. Man... 
Saturday night, you don't want to do inventory. You don't want to do inventory on what I've been doing. You don't want to do inventory on where I'm going this week and who I'm going to do it with this week. Okay? You don't want to do inventory of that. But hey, on Sunday morning, Pastor, I'll be here. This is what they would say when people enter the temple. Do not trust, do not trust the deceptive words. It says, this is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. Verse 4. This is the temple of the Lord. They're chant. This is the temple of the Lord. Isn't this the holy place? This is the temple of the Lord. But whenever you looked at their life, it didn't match, match, match up. There was social disorder, if you will. Because then he goes on and he says in verse 5, he says, For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice. See, there was an injustice in society that was going on. Here's some of the injustices. Now, now you tell me if this doesn't sound like 21st century America. Do not oppress the sojourner, the person who's a foreigner, a refugee. Do not oppress them. The fatherless and the widow. Why are there 500 children across the state of Arkansas who are still waiting for a home to be accepted into? And yet we have empty beds, empty place settings. Think about that. Across the state of Arkansas, alone. The fatherless and the widow. The, shed, the shedding of innocent blood. What's happening in our streets these days? Whether you're talking... Black life matters or blue life matters. You're talking about black on black or white on black or black on black. Whatever color scheme you want to put out there. What's wrong that our society and the innocent lives that are being killed? I mean, think about that. Let that dwell. That was what was going on outside the temple walls. Now, hey, come into the temple. This is the temple of God. This is the temple of God. This is the temple of God. Get holy, get holy in the temple, but live like everyone else out there. So there was social decadence, if you were going on. And there was moral decay. There was six of the Ten Commandments that they weren't even living up to. Verse 8 says, Behold, you trust in deceptive words uh, to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to, to, to Baal, or go after other gods? Six different of the, of the, of the, of the Ten Commandments. Then come and stand before me. Then come into my temple and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're delivered. We're delivered. Only to go out doing all these abominations. Audio and video weren't lining up. And we have a word for that. Hypocrisy. Hypocrites. Oh, nobody wants to consider themselves that, but when our audio and our video don't line up, it will create a static on the line. James chapter 1, verse 8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. A double-minded man is unstable in every way. Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung once said it like this, You are not what you do. Excuse me. You are what you do, not what you say you'll do. Let that dwell with you a little bit. It's not what I'm going to do. It's what am I actually doing. See, I wonder sometimes as believers, and this is where you have to enter into your own closet because, I mean, I look across this room today and I see happy-go-lucky people. I see people that look like they got it all together. You look at me. I look like I have it all together. You You don't know what's going on behind the shell. 
You don't know what's going on on the computer screen of your life. You don't know what's going on on your phone. What's going on? And if those two ever get out of whack, if those two ever get off kelter, then there's inconsistencies and there's lies that have slipped in. I heard of one t-shirt that I thought was pretty funny, actually. It says it like this. It says, Jesus, save me from your followers. What an indictment on those who say they're followers of Christ, but their, their videos not lining up with their audio. That'll create static on the line. Number two, when your personal opinions are valued over sound wisdom. Now listen, I know we've got Oprah and we've got Dr. Phil and we've got therapists and we've got pastors and we've got all kinds of people. We've got teachers, we've got educators, we've got all kinds of people who want to speak into your life and tell you how to live and what's right and wrong. But listen, at the end of the day, so much of what is espoused out there, the moral code and conduct of our land out there is all on a, based on a reason, okay? This makes sense to me. I do A, B, C, I want this, or I'm this, 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 and I get this. It's all a reason-based kind of thinking. I want to challenge you to go with an objective truth kind of thinking, okay? I want you to just chew on that for a moment. Now, a Time Magazine released a study that said that 60% of millennials out there will, will say that they will make moral code decisions in their life by just what they feel at the right time, okay? And you can blame it on the younger generation, and you may be a millennial, but the reality is, is that it's happening with the adults and the parents. And so we don't really grow out of it. We, we need to realize, hey, there has to be an objective standard out there. Now, you'll notice I've read over it very, very quickly, but at the fabric of this whole disintegration of the, of, the, of the society, you find it in verse 4, you find it in verse uh, 24, you find it in verse 8, you find it in verse 28. I want to read some of those. So this is what verse 24 says. They were walking in their own counsels. That's how they were walking. It made sense to them. They reasoned it all out, pros and cons, it all out. Figure it's best this way, or it's what I want anyway. They walked in their own counsel. Verse 4 and verse 8, it literally uses the word deceptive. They trust these deceptive words. You trust in deceptive words in no avail. Again, what do you have here? You have your opinions, okay, or you have objective truth. Can we, can we agree or can we find that there is objective truth out there? Because in verse 28, it says this, the nation, the nation that the world would not listen to the voice of the Lord. Truth has perished. We need to be very, very critical in a critical way. <laughs> critical in a critical way. We need to be very, very um, diagnostic of our own society right now. Well, you're voting Republican or you're voting Democrat. I just encourage you. You better dive deep into the lies, into the cover-ups. Because this is our society. And I, and I hope that verse 20, um, 28 does not describe us, that our, that our nation will walk away from the voice of the Lord and truth will perish. I see that in our school systems. I see that in our homes. And that what it does is it will create a static. It will create confusion. It will create separation. And no longer will we hear God because we're listening to ourselves too much, to our own 
counsel too much. Think about whenever Jesus was tempted. Think about that time whenever he was uh, out in the wilderness and comes up and says, listen, you're hungry, man. Here's some, here's a rock. You can turn it to bread. Taps into food and hunger. Says, man, go for it. You can do it. Then he goes on. He says, hey, man, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you all of this. I'll give you all of this. He offers up to him fortunes. Then he turns around and he takes him to the temple and he says, hey, listen, this is, this, this is town square, this is town center. You throw yourself off of here, these angels are going to swoop down and they're going to pick you up and you're going to be held as the greatest and, the, and you're going to have an instant following and you will have fame and popularity. That was reason, okay? You go back and you reread Genesis chapter 2 and 3 and you read how, what does Satan do? He gets into the reason, into the mind of Eve. Reason versus finding some central objective truth to stake my life on. Every time Satan pulled one of his reasons out, Jesus pulled out Scripture. He pulled out objective truth. He pulls it out and he speaks it over him. Listen, Jesus himself didn't just do what he wanted to do. John chapter 5, verse 30 says, I can do nothing on my own. I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. It's not about me. It's about the will of Him who sent me. This may be the quote of the day, my friends. But I want you to listen to it, write it down, meditate on it. God does not cease speaking. But the noise of the creatures without and our passions within, there's a lot rolled up in that. Sometimes our passions within and sometimes the noise without of the creatures without speaks so much louder than the voice of God within. It deafens us and stops our hearing. We must silence every creature. We must silence ourselves to hear the deep hush of the whole soul. I love that phrase. The ineffable voice of the spouse, and the spouse being God. We must bend the ear because it is a gentle and delicate voice. Only heard by those who no longer hear anything else. Right now, the still small voice of God is speaking to some of you about something that needs to change. Number three, when duty trumps delight, all of a sudden, God's things the holy things of God, the disciplines of the faith, prayer, Bible study, sharing our faith, giving, become this duty, this sense of obligation and not something that overflows from a relationship, a deep-hearted relationship with God. All of a sudden, we have this sense of obligation to do this. And that's not what God wanted. So let's just take on offering because that's exactly what He does. They had lost the why 
and they had focused on the what. They had, fo- they had lost the why and why should I give and why should I sacrifice and why should I give these offerings. And they had focused on the what. Oh, I've got to go give my offering. Oh, I've got to go do this. And they had lost the focus. And some of us in this room today have lost the focus of giving. And it's got to be a motivation speech. It's got to be a twisting of the arm. It's got to be a this. And listen, no, no, no. Let's go back to relationship. I give out of the overflow of my heart because I love God so much. What happens is you look at verse 21 and following. Follow along. He says, thus says the Lord of Host the, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh. Now, you've got to understand Jewish sacrificial system. But Jesus gets in their grill, okay? God gets in their grill. He says, listen. Because see, what happened in the Jewish system of sacrifices, you would take a burnt offering and you'd put it on the altar and the burnt offering would be, would be literally consumed on the altar as if it was going up to God, as if God was receiving every bit of it. A portion of the offering of the sacrifice would be given to the, to the priest to be used in the ministry of the church, to be used in the Levites, and that would, or the ministry of the temple, and, and it would be used such, such as that. It, but, but then there was this portion that was given to God, and this is what God is saying in that phrase. Listen, Take the burnt offering that you're giving to me. I don't want it. I don't want it. You've lost the reason behind it. For in the day that I brought you out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices, but this command I gave them. Obey my voice. I will be your God and you will be my people. Relationship. Get your Bibles, right relationship. And walk in all the way that I command you. Response. That it may be well with you. Start at the bottom of that verse and read it backwards. Is it well with you? Back on into it. You're following His ways? Are you in relationship with Him? Or are you just bringing sacrifices? Are you just dropping a tip in the plate when the, tip, when the plate goes by? Hey, listen, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, he said, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifices. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. I want a relationship with you. Oh, well, by the way, out of that relationship, should come a generosity of our hearts that I'm willing to serve and give and I'm willing to make sacrifices to God. I'm willing to give financially of what? Which comes first though? That's the question that we've got to wrestle with. Which comes first? Offerings? Then love? That's legalism. Or love? Then offering? That's worship. If you have a hard time giving, I can tell you this. I'm just going to get straight because we're going to say this. We don't ask our our non-members to give. We say that week after week. It's because of this. We don't want you to get the wrong, we don't want you to get it in the wrong order. It's not offerings, okay? Don't give if you're not a member of Grace One. But if you're a member of Grace One, then we're saying, hey, listen, I hope that there's that relationship there and I'm hoping that relationship's growing enough and I'm hoping that you're going to dive into that relationship further. And from that, there will be this amazing amount of generosity as an act of worship to God. Last weekend, of your offerings went to bless the foster community around Northwest Arkansas. 
more than I have time to go into. We're going to actually have a video. i got so much to do on that. But I just want you to know, in one weekend, but we don't start with the offering. We start with the love relationship. And let the offering come out of that. When duty precedes delight. Number four, and I'm finished. When you practice self-autonomy, now this is going to hit some Americans right between the eyes, instead of self-surrender. What does America stand for? I'm not, I'm not anti-patriot here. Liberty, freedom, independence. These words mark us. We have Independence Day. These words have been brandished in us. That's fine. That's, that's a, us as a nation. That's great. I appreciate that. Here, as a follower of Christ, as Paul said, I make myself a slave. I become a servant to you. I become a servant to God. But what happened here in the people of Israel, you can see it in verse 24 and 25, but they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsel and the stubbornness of their evil hearts. You go on down to verse 26, and they did not listen or incline their ear, but they stiffened their neck. And here's the sad part, is that this is not just happens here in Jeremiah chapter 7. This happens in America 2016. This happens on and on in our lives as we, we, we declare ourselves independence. They take your Bibles, and I want you, if you have your Bibles, to open. I normally just put it on the screen. It'll be on the screen, but I want you to look at this. Psalm 81. And I want you to hear these words. Psalm 81, verse 8. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. Now, if some of you feel admonished today, it's okay. Write it down. It's a good thing. You're hearing from God. Verse 11, but my people did not listen to my voice. Underscore that phrase. Israel would not submit to me. Self-autonomy, not self-surrender. Who's God and who's not? If you can't figure that answer out, then you're going to have a hard time ever hearing the voice of God. Who's God and who's not? Now, the next phrase is probably one of the scariest phrases. It's repeated in Romans chapter 1. Whenever a decadent society can continue to to fall further and further into decay. And he says it here in verse 12. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts. Oh, my gosh. You mean God's not going to force me into his will? Nope. This is what God's going to do sometime. Okay. I've talked to you persistently day after day. I've sent godly people into your life. I've sent the word of God into your life. I've spoken my spirit into your life. You choose to do that, I'm going to just turn you over to your stubborn hearts. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. This is what I will do. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. I want that, God. Okay, we'll back up. Are you in a relationship? Is there communication? Are you responding? 
with a wholehearted yes to God? Or are you just passing right on through the voice of God? I can tell you of a time whenever Lori and I passed right on through the voice of God. This may be small, but it was big for three years in our life. And it was every month that three years of our life we were reminded that we did not listen to God, that we practiced self-autonomy over self-surrender. We were a young couple. We had a growing family. We had Jordan. We were having, we had Caleb, and we were ready to, to expand from a little car to a van, a minivan. I mean, that's, a, I mean, that's what everybody dreams for is a minivan, right? So we went to shop for our first new car as a couple. And, man, we had it all figured out. God, if it's not your will, close the door. You know it. He didn't close the door. God, okay, you know, if you can make this work out, then this must be your will. That was literally our prayer. And I'm pastor of a church, man. Feel sorry for that church that they had a pastor that prayed that shallow of a prayer. We got the car. It was a purple van, okay? It wasn't even a pretty van. It was a purple van, but it was new. It had the new car smell. And we could make the payments. And we made the payments. It never went into foreclosure. But I knew the month after we got that van, I knew before we got, but I saw it on black ink on white paper that we couldn't afford that van. But we were committed to it for the next three years till we paid it off. I even tried the Arkansas lemon law, found some things wrong with it, tried to turn it in, and they said, no, we can fix it. It's under warranty. We were stuck with that van for three years because we didn't listen to the voice of God. What is God saying to you? It may not be a van. It may be a relationship that deteriorates a job that falls apart. It may be your own soul because you stopped listening to God. I want to close by reading one more verse. And it's a verse that just jumps off the page. When you know it in context. In fact, I want you to read it out loud with me. Behold, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That verse is not written to lost and dying people far from Jesus. It's written to people in a relationship with Jesus who quit listening to God. It's written to the church of Laodicea, a church that had become lukewarm. They were just like the people who had good audio but bad video. And God said, listen, I'm knocking. If you'll hear and you'll let me in, we can be in good relationship again. I want you to bow your heads. you get real still. I'm going to ask you one question and I'm going to be silent. Where is there static separation and distance in your relationship with God?
Where is it that you've tuned him out or turned him down? What are you holding on to that he's calling you to let go of? What are you doing that he doesn't want you doing? What are you not doing that he's wanting you to do? Who are you that you're not letting him change you into who you can become? servants are listening.